Welcome to Health Media Now with award-winning author and host, Denise Messenger, for a lifetime of health empowerment. Live by being in the pink, meaning P stands for being persistent, I stands for using your intuition, N stands for networking, and K stands for obtaining knowledge. Our guests entertain and share cutting-edge information. They share with you what may have taken years to achieve through experience in their field. Become inspired and motivated. Reach your full potential with fascinating tips and products. Receive a lifetime of benefits from authors, doctors, practitioners, healthcare providers, and learn about exciting new products. You asked for it, and we deliver. Now, here's your host, Denise Messenger. Well, hello, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today, which is April 12th, 2017. I don't believe this year we have covered the topic of addictions. And I think it's really an important one because we as a society have a lot going on relative to drug addictions, alcohol addictions, and all the various other ones. So today we have with us a guest who I would consider a survivor of drug addiction And I think that her latest book called Addictarium is going to be very enlightening. And, of course, we will be covering her book. A little background. Her name is Nicole D.C. Tinney, and she's a creative writer, a poet, and an artist from Niagara Falls, New York. She says that she had an eye for beauty at a young age, and that included poetry. So she enjoys that. And her experience, again, we will talk about relative to her um, intensive rehabilitation, what she went through as a result of her heroin, oh, can't talk today, heroin addiction. So let's bring her on to our show now. Hi, Nicole. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, and thank you so much. Very, very excited to be here and doing this. (laughs) <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, you know, you, usually I ask my guest how they got on the path that they're on today, but in your case, it's pretty clear um, yeah. as a result of, of your book, Arium. So why don't we just move right along into that, and um, why don't you start telling us a little bit about your backstory? Okay, and thank you so much again. Uh, well, to begin with, um, I, d- I penned Addictarium. It took me about five years to pen it, so we're going back at least uh, six or seven years to when all of this kind of um, came about, the different things that happened that shaped the novel and how it all came to be. But um, Addictarium was actually written during my time in the therapeutic community. I was doing long-term intensive rehabilitation for a very, very bad addiction to heroin at the time. And um, I was able to get into this very long, like I said, intensive rehabilitation, but I had to go from Florida to New York City to do that. So my main reason, of course, was to quit heroin. But a side note is I actually started going blind in my right eye. And uh, it was due to shooting a bad batch of heroin. So um, when that happened, I realized it, you know, that, that was it for me. Everybody has their moment or their awakening. For me, losing my eyesight or possibly losing all of it was uh, you know, a huge awakening. So 
I did end up going into the um, two-year intensive rehabilitation program, and that's kind of when Addictarium came about. As I was in there, I said, there's so many things going on, and, and you just learn so much in that kind of environment and all these different people and pain and emotions. So um, I've, I've always written my whole life, and I just knew that I had my story at that point. I said, this is something I need to tell people, you know, really get that message out there. Was it your first um, visit relative to a rehab facility? My first visit was, well, how it actually happened was I was in South Florida and they didn't have any kind of emergency health care. And at the time I didn't have any, of course, you know, I was had a very bad addiction at the time. So um, when I started going blind, we were looking everywhere to try to get me help to resolve the issue before I lost my eyesight in both eyes. And um, at that time, I had gone into detox, and at the detox, they were the ones who referred me to New York City. They said oh, that okay. they were able to help. Yeah, so I ended up taking, I was very sick, dope sick and everything. I took a bus for two and a half days in that condition, and uh, I, was, um, I entered the uh, rehabilitation program, and pretty much all went on from there, the whole two years of just a lot of different very uh, intense things happened throughout that time that I was in there. I can only imagine. It had to be really, really rough. Uh, it was rough but enlightening. Um, like I said, there was so, there was this melting pot of personalities and so many emotional disorders and mental disorders and people, like I said, who are just in so much pain. And when you're living with those people every day, 150 of them, you, you, your eyes are open to so many different things. And I just learned so much about the personality and mm-hmm. what it really meant to be an addict and what it really meant to recover. That's kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't just about not using heroin. It was about dig, digging deep down inside and figuring out why was I doing this in the first place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How long were you there? Approximately two years, give or take a few months. Um, I went to two different facilities. I was shipped upstate for nine months in what they referred to as the boot camp part of treatment, which is very militant. And then I was shipped downstate into uh, Queens, and that's where I did the, it was like about a year and some odd months of formal training, I guess you could say, to be able to acclimate back to society. That was the idea. So, like, Mm -hmm. approximately two years. Your experience up at the boot camp, how did that go? Well, shockingly for me, that was the easier part. And people always think I'm very strange when I say that. But the thing is, when I was shipped upstate, it was 72 women, all-female facility. Um, you know, you had to, you had a very strict schedule, 16 hours a day of intensive groups and counseling. They gave you a job to fulfill, and so you're always doing something the whole mm-hmm. day, every single day, seven days a week. And um, so I acclimated. I just did what I had to do when I went mm-hmm. downstate. That's where all the confusion started to come about, and when I really oh. had to. Yeah, it was it was very confusing because when I was shipped back downstate, I had had a fresh split from a fiance of six years. I you know that had saved my eyesight, but I was still going through that whole thing. And then now I'm back, in, you know, partly into society. So it's like, how do you fit in after all of the things you've been through? And we're talking about mm-hmm. a, you know seven year addiction too. So uh, seven year addiction. Very, yeah. Yeah. Mm-mm. So tell us a little bit about your book. 
Um, I've always been a writer, as I stated before, and I've always known that I would want to sit down and tell something really amazing or profound. And when I was in the rehabilitation program, I found my story. That's how I always explain it. You know, um, I wanted to really dig deep and, uh, into the psyche of the human being and, and human relationships. So Addictarium is about everything that I went through in that two years, everything from the emotional, um, you know, development and uh, to masking of different addictions. Yeah, I had stopped using heroin, but I was still engaging in other smaller addictions. So, uh, you know, it reflects deeply on these different Things and, and what does the word addiction even mean and what does sober even mean? And mm-hmm. um, also there's a lot of relationships I formed. So you will see me throughout the uh, novel forming all these different relationships. And I actually fell in love with my substance abuse counselor. So that was definitely, um, a, I guess you could call it a roadblock along the way because that mm-hmm. a lot of fusion. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, it just reflects on all these different things that happened through that time period. I bet. Did you suffer from Stockholm Syndrome or was it somebody else? I examined Stockholm Syndrome a lot in the novel. And actually in the novel, it was one of my best friends who, unfortunately, uh, she really did develop Stockholm Syndrome. She fell in love with a man who was prostituting her and it broke my heart to watch. And she left the program and her life never, as far as I know, never was able to be put back together, at least not yet. And it was a very difficult thing to see happen. She was 22 years old. He was in his forties. And yeah, he, he brainwashed her and she, she threw away a a brilliant mind. It was very, very sad. Hmm. So did you meet her in your program then? Yes, I met her upstate. So we had been together, you could say pretty much living together for two years. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, she was my roommate, yeah. too. So, you know, mm-hmm. we were very close. Yeah. Very sad. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that's kind of, it, it, that was just one uh, situation, but the book goes through each person that I'm making and forming these relationships with and, and the sad outcome for some, so many and some happy, you know, some great things, but so many different people who weren't able to pull through and you see that happen. And it's just very tragic. Yeah. Well, your your main protagonist is Danielle Mar- Martino. And I yeah. I assume I assume that um you threw some things in there that kind of represented what you went through, but then you probably um embellished that a bit as well. Yeah, I mean there's always you know, when you're writing, there's always embellishment, you know, that's just, mm-hmm. it's part of telling a good story. So it's not, you know, it's not, you're, cha- you're not changing it or exaggerating it. You're just trying to explain it in a way where it, it happened, but the, the effect that the reader's having is the full effect that you have. So you change things a little bit, you know, also flow is mm-hmm. important. You want it to flow. Mm-hmm. What do you think was the one determining factor that got you through that whole program? Um, I think that just, you know, it's that's a difficult one to answer, actually, because I think that there were a lot of different elements. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there were. But I guess what I'm asking is, um, did it have to do with the fact that you have a very strong um, 
um, well, it wouldn't really be, it wouldn't be considered self-esteem, but are you a strong will person or was, um, did spirituality enter into it? Um, Probably a little bit of both of those things. Yeah, uh, strong will definitely. And, um, just, I guess a stubbornness, you know, deciding that you're going to do something and you're going to get it done. And, and that's just that no matter what it takes. Mhm. Mhm. Did you have family support? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, yeah, it, it, I was, you know, in another state, but still had support. Sure. Definitely. Sure. Yeah. Because um, it's like people that are incarcerated. A lot of times, they'll find faith, and that pulls them through. And once they're released, that carries them through. Right. Um, it's into their new into their new life. Um, is that a situation for you, or was it more about the fact that your uh, your core is that you're creative writer and a poet and an artist that pull that pulls you to stay? To, to me, probably the second one, um, I definitely think the artistic and creative ambition was something that you could turn to in a moment of despair and turn it into something beautiful and enlightening. So um, I think that in a way, art was definitely, for me personally, my salvation. Aha. Uh-huh. And what type of art? <laughs> Um, I love to paint. I do sketch art. Um, I it, I like illustration, all that stuff. But, but really, my favorite thing probably is poetry. Very big fan of it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did you have any particular poets that that you admire? Uh, Anne Sexton, of course, um, and Sylvia Plath, probably number one and two. But um, Dorothy Parker is a great poet. Um, there's so many, Edgar Allan Poe, you know what I mean? There's just so many great poets. Um, probably my favorite would be Plath, though. I'm a very big fan of her work. And uh, not a, necessarily a poet, but a writer. Anais Nin is probably my favorite writer, who I find very poetic. So, Ah. <laughs> while, you, while you were in rehab, I assume you had time to read them? Yes, a lot of reading. <laughs> A lot. Uh huh. Have time for it, and um, I mean, I love books. I think they're wonderful. So there's yeah. knowledge out there. I would say take it. You know. Mhm. Mhm. Well, it, it sounds like you kind of had like an angel on your shoulder by uh, getting you into this specific rehab program. Which, I mean, I don't know a lot about these types of programs, but I do know that. Rarely do they go the amount of years that yours did. did. Yes, In other words, where they combined the boot camp kind of militant thing along with the formal training. Is it right. uh, was it was it uh, funded by the government or or by private enterprise? Um, from what I understand, I believe the government. From what I understand, though, I do, I'm pretty sure that that's how it works. Um, it's definitely government funded in certain ways. Um, I think that what they do is they have the uh, patients go on Medicaid, I want to say. I, I believe that's how it operates. But, uh, I, to me, it was just like I, I had never heard of it either. I thought, my gosh, two years is <laughs> just a long time, you know? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it was worth it, actually, and, and it was definitely um, a, well, I, enlightening. 
journey. Yeah, I, I, I really hope that um, it has, has a fairly um, good success rate. Um, typically, people that go through rehab will end up going, going back and back quite a few times. Unfortunately, yeah, that is, uh, it seems to be an issue, but I'm very grateful that it, that wasn't my issue. <laughs> oh, aren't we? Aren't we? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. What is the general story? In other words, what is the message that, that you're, you're, um, you want the reader to well, know. I think, like I personally think with the memoir, the biggest difference with the memoir and any other type of book is with the memoir you're picking the story. It's not necessarily a biography because a biography would be a whole life story. With the memoir, it's you're you're picking a particular time in your life and telling that story. So mm-hmm. I think that um, you're trying to get a message out there about an experience you went through. And for me, it's. it's I, I believe um, it's almost a way of unraveling, you know, your emotional core and allowing other people to learn from it. So that would be what I would say most people who want to write a memoir are thinking, at least partly. And for me, that's how I felt, you know, so mm-hmm. I understand mm-hmm. it, you know. Mm-hmm. Do you think that, um, and, I'm, and I'm sure you probably found out if you were in a program with, you know, least 150 people were um and they probably came from all walks of life yes absolutely very very big melting pot personalities and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. cultures and everything i've always been curious you know what i know that um biologically some people are more predispositioned to drug addiction than others uh, there's no question about that. And that's the tough part because, you know, some at a young age, peer pressure will start in on it. And out of that peer group, they'll just be maybe a couple that are actually become addicted. Um, but the ones that, that don't have the biological predisposition, something else is going on that keeps them yeah. going back. What have you found in your, you know, in your experience um, are the things that pulls them back in? Um, my, I, it's, it's hard because every individual is different, but my guess would be that if somebody, you know, if they can't get a grip on it or they keep returning to the same destructive behavior that they haven't, they haven't resolved all of that scar tissue, whatever issues they, that caused them to want to self-destruct in the first place. So you can't mm-hmm. go, you know, you can't go and try to get, you can't go and try to heal yourself if you're not really trying to heal yourself. In other words, you have to dig deep and you have to be realistic and you have to consider what caused it in the first place and stop running from it and face it head on. And then you can move forward. But if you don't do that, you can't and you never will. Mm-hmm. You won't mm-hmm. go back. So. So is that uh, psychological work? Yeah, mostly. Definitely. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, so you're you're a, yeah. you're a firm believer that that the um, the psychologists are pretty important in in the recovery process. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that it's a huge uh, and very important aspect. Um, I, in fact, I don't think that it would be possible without it. Hmm. 
Interesting. <laughs> Honestly speaking, no, I, I don't think that it would. <laughs> mm. Did they do um, that in group settings? Definitely. There's individual, you know, they do individual counseling and then they do like group counseling and then there's like some, you can do one-on-one but, or another couples counseling. They did everything, you know, and th- I guess that's why it was a two-year program because they tried mm-hmm. to cover all at at least there. I'm not sure how any others operate, but there they tried to cover everything. It was um, very important to, you know, if they had survivors groups, women's groups, um, anything that you can think of that might cause somebody to continue to self-destruct there was some type of group for. And it, it, as annoying as they might have been at times, or, you know, sometimes you just don't mm-hmm. want to talk, but you, you have to. And you learn that along the way. And if you don't, you probably will end up continuing down the wrong road. Were you allowed visitors? Oh, yes. And, and, well, in the initial phase, no, actually. Well, um, once in a while, I think there was, like, specialty uh, circumstances and things like that. But uh, when that, that's the thing, actually. When you rotate downstate, you're acclimating back into society. So they're trying to allow you to live a normal life, even though you're still in a program. You still have to abide by certain rules. Um, you, but you're allowed out. You're allowed to have visitors, things like that, yes. Did you work? You actually have it's. Um, they go through everything. Like I said, they have. It's called vocational rehabilitation. The program like that. Um, they also have. You're allowed to take certain courses, um, which they prefer that you do. So you, you're. What happens when you go down state is first you work in the house is what they call it. You take a job in the facility. You do that for several months. You work your way up to being allowed to apply for some type of college courses or whatever they're offering. Uh, and once you complete that, then you you can either move out and you get a job, or they even allow some people to stay there, have a job, and save up money. So. Um, it really was a well-rounded program in that regard. It sounds, it really does sound great. I wish yeah. they had that program in other states. Well, I, yeah, I it, from what I understand, they didn't get closed, though, unfortunately. Uh, say that again? Unfortunately, I believe it closed down. I believe they shut down. Oh, No. Yeah, that's because yeah. there's not enough of there's not enough of that out there. And that's and um, that's what I said. You know, living in Florida, um, there was a lot of rehabilitation, but it was all private. And you know, if you don't have fifty thousand dollars to you know go rehabilitate with, you're kind mm-hmm. of like they, you know, they it's like I don't know what to tell you. So that was very different for me to go to New York City and have people so caring and willing to help so easily. It was very it was foreign. Really. Oh. Well, I'm really sad to hear that that program got shut down. That's there just aren't enough of them. I think that um, particularly drug addiction touches everyone one Mm -hmm. way or another through knowing, you know, family members or friends of friends or their children. Um, You know, we're all touched by it. I absolutely. I a, uh, everyone knows someone. You're right about that one. And so, you know, it, it's becoming pretty big. It's it's yeah. a it's a big issue. It's a real problem issue. And I think particularly with heroin, because it's so much cheaper than some of the other drugs now, mm-hmm. um, it's becoming epidemic in a, in a mm-hmm. lot of cities. Absolutely. And we're losing. And we're losing a lot of our youth. It's. Um, it's very sad. I, I was just going to say, uh, in Niagara Falls, where I'm originally from, the epidemic is so uh, 
it's so bad there that I could probably, I, I couldn't count on my fingers and toes everybody who I went to school with who has overdosed and passed away at this point. And I'm only 34 years old. So it's definitely a really bad mm-hmm. epidemic. I agree a hundred percent. And I guess, I guess that the, um, the mixing of the drug has is, is gotten mm. uh, more more lethal. Yes. Well, you mm. know, the, today uh, there's a huge pill epidemic as well, and uh, the mixing of everything has gotten very, very bad because of that. I am very, I'm very sad. I feel like there's so many doctors who don't have in- integrity anymore, you know, for the patient. I mean, there's definitely some who do, but th- there's a lot who are, are willing to um, – kind of like adapt to this society where, you know, pills are just prescribed to everybody for everything. And then those pills are distributed on the streets and and it's causing serious issues. Like you said, because they start with pills and then they suddenly can't afford their pill habit and they move on to heroin. So we're seeing these young kids. Yeah. Yeah. No, I had um, a friend of my son's and, and he passed away. Uh, Mm. He, he was prescribed pain, um, uh, you know, medication for a back yeah. issue from the time he was pretty young, and mm. of course he needed to up that dosage. Of course, because yeah. that's just how how it works. And you know, when when you're trying to self manage, uh, you forget you forget how many you had in the morning, how many you had you know, yeah. the day before. True. Yeah, and he, I he, agree, hundred percent. He just he just didn't wake up. And, oh, um, so and, um, you know, it's, it's just tragic, really tragic it with, is. Our, with our it youth is. of today. Yeah. It's, um, like you said, a huge epidemic and I would, I think that's why I respect people who want to put out a memoir so much because it's helping to get the message out there. You know, every person who can share their story and say, Hey, look, this is what I went through. Don't go through it. No, mm-hmm. I, I certainly didn't try to glamorize it. And I would hope that nobody else would, because it's not about that. It's about trying to allow people into the psyche of, of, of a very broken person who is trying to fix themselves, you know, and tell other people, mm-hmm. you don't have to go through that. Look what I went mm-hmm. through, try to learn from it and move forward. So I, you know, the memoir writer, I really do have a lot of respect for What's your advice to a drug addict who wants to quit? It sounds cliche, but not to not to give up. You know, I mean, I yeah. to put it in you know fancier words, but that's the bottom line. Um, it, it, no matter how deep down you are, there, there's always a story about somebody who had it even worse, or it went even worse for them. You know, so mm-hmm. I, don't give up. Mm-hmm. That's what I say about it. You know. Yeah, I, I hope that um, our society gets to the point where we start spending more money on, on drug rehabilitation programs. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, I know the money's out there. It's just not allocated toward it. Absolutely. And, um, it's mismanaged like so many things. It's mm-hmm. uh, very sad because it's definitely out there. And I think that people just have the tendency to give up on the drug addict so easy. But if you look into a 15 year old's eyes and you see that that 15 year old probably doesn't want to be doing what they're doing, maybe you can have a little bit of compassion, you know, that's Mm -hmm. what I Mm -hmm. feel. (laughs) No, absolutely. So I'm getting back to your book. Uh, What was the favorite part that you wrote? 
Um, the favorite, you know, I really enjoyed writing the characters, especially in the first few chapters because they were off the wall and very histrionic and, and you know, unhinged. So um, I had a good time doing <laughs> <I> that. <laughs> I had a good time writing about them. Some of them were very colorful and, and just very vivid. You didn't, the thing is, I, I laughed to myself because I didn't have to embellish that much with my, my friends. <laughs> they, you know, they were really off the wall people. So it's like, that. <laughs> when, really, when I was, like, when I would be, you know, in a group setting watching people and I'm just observing all of it I'm thinking in my head this this is great for a book I don't even need to you know they, they're characters they're living characters <laughs> so <laughs> I had a good time with that that I have to say mm-hmm. it was very fun uh it was so you know, a lot you of just, it was depressing but that was fun <laughs> did you like keep the diary the whole time you were in there I did and I still do I mean a journal you know and I mm-hmm. my best advice to any writer too is to not just journal but keep dialogue keep text keep letters keep anything that is um something that can inspire you or you can use later uh, i i've always journaled since the time i was small and i mean i journal a lot like i have pages and pages of journals so uh it it helps because you're it's like a, almost like a draft especially for something like a you know like a memoir or something where you're telling a, a kind of like a life story or a story from your life mm-hmm. so yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and do you uh I know that there's other books out there probably similar to yours. What makes yours so different from all the others? Um, you know what I would mean? the thing is that you can almost say that it's like a combination of like a a million little pieces but mixed with like Prozac Nation because the the yeah, there's a addiction is a huge and probably the main focal point, but there the other huge focal point is the psyche of this woman, this young really she's like got the mind of a young girl. You know, she's in her twenties but at the time she's just not there yet. So mm-hmm. you're watching her so broken and, you know, just beat down and ready to give up and then saying, wait a minute, no, I'm, you know, I'm stronger than that. So um, I think that um, it, what makes it different is that aspect. There's, it's not just about, you know, uh, all the things I did during my drug addiction and now I'm better. It really isn't. It, uh, you know, there's a focal point on all kinds of different addictions that we don't even identify with and um, an examination on human relationships. And, and then it's fun, too. Like I said before, there's some off-the-wall characters in there that just, you know, you can't help but like <laughs> tried to make it a piece of art and really uh, colorful and interesting and you know I got inspiration from some of the greatest writers of all time and tried to really utilize what I've learned along the way so I I feel like it's different in in the uh, fact that I wasn't just a person who sat down to write a memoir I was a writer who you know wrote one and planned on writing my whole life so it wasn't like I'm just I just want to tell my life story you know it was this is one piece of art that I produced so far. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if uh, if an addict picked up your up your book and read it, I assume there'd be things that they would identify with. Would there be things that maybe would change their thinking over being an addict? A change their thinking, I would hope, actually, because I think that that's a, a huge goal. Um, I. I've had people say that it has. So, you know, in reviews or, you know, personally writing and saying it, like they reach out and they're just like, you know, I, you would you make my brain tick. You make it think, you make me understand why I did some of the things I did. So if even if it's 10 people who you reach, I mean, that's 10 human beings. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. I, I would say that. <laughs> that's going to make you feel good. 
It does. I mean, it makes it so worth it. I book sales and stuff. I mean, I, it, people probably don't believe me when I say this, but the sales they don't really mean that much to me. It's it's more about like when I get that review from that person who's just so captivated by it and like mm-hmm. it really touched or it changed them somehow or someone they know. That's beautiful and that's well it makes it well worth it to do it, no matter how yeah. painful it might be trying to do it. <laughs> well, I, I imagine it was painful writing it. Um, yeah. Because there were there had to be portions that you had to relive. Yeah, you had to. Exactly. Yeah, and some of them were. I mean, there's. I, I probably should have actually had a disclaimer, but there's some pretty rough scenes in there, and those aren't things mm-hmm. that you want to go through again. But it's necessary. You have to be realistic if you're going to sit down and do something like that. You know, you have to. We have to be real. You have to be honest. That's the point. Otherwise, there's no point. Mhm. Mhm. Is there another book coming out of you? Yes, I'm actually uh, working on a, a book titled Narcitopia. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. very ironic, the title. And that's, um, again, another book that kind of like deals with psychology and, and um, the psyche of three different characters, actually, and um, what they go through in this world where all of them are suffering from certain personality disorders that cause them to intertwine in each other's lives and affect them without even realizing it. So it's definitely a different um a little bit different from what I mm-hmm. previously did and what I've done before, mm-hmm. so I'm excited, though. Yeah, it sounds very complex. It's going to be like a psychodrama, I guess you could call it. <laughs> <laughs> psychodrama. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my word. Well, it's been great talk. It's really been great talking with you and, and hearing Thank about you. about your story and, um, and, of course, about your book. Is there anything else you want to impart on our on our listeners? I know that um you know you'll you'll give them your website and where they can purchase your book, but is yeah. there any other thing that you'd uh, like to I say? Mean, I would say that if you're interested and you are um, thinking about reading it to uh take into consideration that I really did pour my heart and soul into this project, and I hope that mm-hmm. it touches or changes you in some way. That's what I would say. Yeah. And, yeah, thank, I mean, and thank you, of course, to anybody who supports oh, me. Thank you so much. <laughs> oh. Nicole DC Teeny, right? Or Tiny. Yes. DC Tiny. <laughs> Man, that name. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, it really gets me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, why don't you give out your website and where your your book a dictarium okay. can be purchased. I mean, it's just the way adictarium dot com. A d d i c t a r i u m dot com. Okay, great. <laughs> great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks again, and I I really wish you well. I hope that your next Thank book you. comes out and is is you know as much a success as this one is. And um, you know, keep up your fight. I know it's a lifelong fight always is it, yes it is but everything in life is and i thank you so much for uh, taking the time to uh, speak with me and i appreciate it and thank everyone thank you very much okay. <laughs> take care <laughs> bye-bye you too bye all right listeners that wraps up our show for today please join us again next wednesday 4 p.m pacific Central Time, and um, until then, be well, be happy. Bye-bye.
We celebrate our listeners worldwide and invite you to contact Denise at www.healthmedianow.com with any questions you may have. And follow her on Twitter at Health Media Now and Facebook at Health Media Now. For those interested in an advertising campaign on her show, contact Lisa at knowledgeworkspub.com. Be sure to visit gotcancernowwhat.com for information on Denise Messenger's award-winning book, Got Cancer? Now What? 